Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Welcome back, dear ones, to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, and you've caught Pastor Frank Friedman and me in the middle of an interview with Phelan Doherty, who is pastor of River City Church in Derry, Ireland. Join us as we continue. Phelan, can I add a different thought for you to consider? And, and I'd like you to speak to this. I agree with what you just said wholeheartedly. This whole idea of a methodology, a program, a focus on ourselves, all under the guise of that first choice of Adam, there was one law in the garden, and it was don't choose the law. Don't choose that right and wrong, good and evil methodology. Choose me. And so I agree wholeheartedly. It's almost like every denomination, every church has just a different methodology or program under the same theme. What do I do for God? But in America, I'm observing an interesting thing of late. And I wonder if you see this as well. Grace has now become more popular in America. Uh, churches are changing their names to grace churches. Books are being written on grace. But this is what I'm seeing. And this is my theory that our message, our new covenant message is very logical, rational, and believable. And so I would say it like this. I do wrong. Therefore, I must be wrong. God loves me. He sent his son to die for all my wrongs. And then he put the wrong me on the cross, executed me with him, buried me, and then resurrected me with him to be right so that he, the right one, can live in me now and in union with me express his life through my life. And people say, I believe that. And then I say, but you missed something. You didn't say, I believe you, Lord. And my point is this. In America, we have an intellectual ascent religion where we say, I believe that. And it's a, a statement of correct doctrine that we can give affirmation to without transformation. Uh, just one last thought to give you an idea. I've had phone calls from pastors, and I mean groups of pastors, four and five at a time on a conference call. And this has been the gist of their question. Pastor Frank, we've got a problem. I said, what's your problem? They say, well, we're preaching the grace message for four and five years now, but we're not seeing any transformation of life in the people. And I'd say to them, well, gentlemen, you answered your question in your own question. And they said, what do you mean? I said, you're preaching a message. I wonder if you're preaching Christ. Grace is not our life. Colossians 3, Christ is our life. And then we've had this interesting discussion. Do you see that same intellectual ascent, faith, if you will, in Ireland? 
I think probably it would be a slightly different situation. I mean, Ireland would be a quite religious country in that almost everybody was brought up something. So the challenges are a little bit different. I think it's interesting what you said there, where people said, I believe this or I believe that. Sometimes I like to say, and who's I? <laughs> no. Because we, we mm -hmm. still... We're still thinking that there's something that I have my life, really, you know, and he's going to help me live my life. Now, God's so gracious. He's at work by his spirit. And I know there's a renewal. Uh, there's a journey in terms of the, putting off the old self to put on the new self. There's an element of brokenness that helps people to understand that they, I, when they say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to believe that, I'm going to do that, that I isn't capable of doing anything apart. Mm -hmm. No man can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit. So there you go. one of the comforting things, I used to have this thought in my mind, and you've probably both had the same thought. We all had at times where you hear a voice would say something like, you know what? If the people in this church knew what you were really like, they wouldn't even speak to you. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, And I felt God saying to me, can I have a word with you about you? You see, when you say, when that voice says, what you were really like, that you means you by yourself. Because you think of the things you're ashamed of, you did them when you were all by yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, you, as far as I can see you, I never made you to be by yourself. That's mm -hmm. your problem, you see. I made you to live <laughs> with me, in me, from me, in my presence. I see, I don't have an I life. People say to Jesus, how do you do what you do? He says, I, I don't do anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I only do what I see my father doing. So to live in his presence, I think of the beautiful words where Abraham cried out to the Lord about Ishmael. And there was a famous verse where he said, oh, Lord, when he when he discovered that the promise was going to come through Isaac, he cried for Ishmael. And he said, oh, Lord, oh, that Ishmael would live before you. And I once found a translation that said it like this. Oh, that Ishmael would live in the constant awareness of your presence, you know. Mm. Because you think about the way people behave in church. <laughs> Why do they behave better in church? You know, I think that sometimes maybe that's a good question, isn't it? In what way does the way we do church hinder the full proclamation of the gospel? Because sometimes I can see that it's easier using the law to build something called a church faster than it would be to preach the gospel to let people grow up in all the messy ways, find his life and them, and not to find the list of instructions and what they need to do to tick the box to attend this church, as it were, you know. So that development of life, I think of what Paul said to the Corinthians, you have 10,000 instructors. And in this world, a world that doesn't know a savior can only teach you to be your own. And so when the spirit of the world gets into the church, it corrupts the gospel into a how-to message again you know so yeah so we'll teach you now how you can get saved by doing x y and z so again the message becomes less and less about christ and more and more about what we're doing for christ so we always find a way of slipping ourselves in there praise god and deferring our hope to some other day oh wow mm -hmm. you know i'm listening to both of you gentlemen talk and the common thread i hear is honestly how brilliant our enemy is uh, to step in and basically turn in our country the message of Christ as our life to a hollow chocolate bunny with no substance that says, well, I'm perfect. Christ has made me perfect. And so the focus just shifts horribly. 
to get us away from the substance of who changed us to what we think we now are. And and Phelan, listen to you talk the deception about individuality and I, and I can do this. Boy, it's just amazing how the enemy just takes whichever little finger hold he can manage to find in the minds of believers and mm-hmm. works a deception, twists and crafts the deception to slide in there so it sounds so very close to the truth, but it is off. Wow. It's um, listening to you both. It's interesting. The word that keeps popping in my mind as I listen to both of you is antichrist. And antichrist has been with us from the beginning. And at least in America, when you mention the name antichrist, they think of a being during the seven-year tribulation, a person. And it's not, it's a spirit. And the first thought is against Christ. But I don't think a lot of believers have laid hold of the other meaning of that little preposition on T, which means instead of. And the enemy is always offering us instead of Christ. And it can be revelation, it can be blessings, it can be a, a teacher instead of the revealer, the, the blessor and the source of life. You know, Phelan, John knows this, but in my own life, when Father opened my eyes, I changed my pronouns from singular to plural. And I had one funny occasion that I remember in my mind. I was heading out of the office door over to the Christian bookstore, and my secretary said, where are you going? And I said, well, we're going to the Christian bookstore. And she said, well, let me get my purse. And I said, well, you're not going. And she said, well, you said we. And I said, well, the Holy Spirit and I, we're going to the Christian <laughs> bookstore. So it got me into trouble, but I was just trying to, you know, like that Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of Jesus to reshape your thinking that, especially here in America, we are extremely individualistic. Our declaration of independence and our bill of rights and fiercely independent and to realize that I yeah. is now a we. And we are one yeah, uh, with the living God of the universe. <laughs> it blows yeah. your mind. Yeah. No wonder there's a, a journey of renewal because it isn't the whole world is speaking to you as an I. I always think of Gideon standing in that hole in the ground, being defined by his own failure in his own mind and thinking, here I am, I'm powerless and I'm abandoned by God. And the first words that are said to him are, Behold, mighty warrior whom the Lord is with you. And it's like, that's the difference, really, in the way the gospel begets sons, you know. A son, by definition, is in relationship. You can't be a son unless you have a father. Over Christmas, especially, I was thinking of how Jesus, as he lived as a son, absolutely depending on his father to save him, to his disciples, it looked very naive. Even Peter came along and said, come on now, now, be careful now, you know, you're not going to go to the cross And as his death approached, he seemed to make no effort to avoid it. It was like he was not making any effort to save himself. And from the desert to the cross, the enemy continually said, go on then, if you are the son of God, do something, save yourself, turn those rocks into bread, get down off that cross, you know, save yourself. And that's what this world says to us, really. He continues to speak to us as an I, as they did to Jesus, really. And he continued not to be moved, but to live as a son even unto death, absolutely trusting his father. And that is why he came, that we who've been held in bondage all our life by the fear of death, trying to save ourselves, that that fear would be gone and we would live as witnesses to this shared life 
that we now have. I think the verses that most powerfully encouraged me in recent years is Colossians 3, the first four verses, you know, where, as you pointed out there, Frank, to say to people, but you died and your life is today hidden with Christ and God and in Christ, who is our life. I think the five most powerful words in scripture sums up the gospel, really. It's, It's incredible. I don't pretend to fully understand this yet. I'm excited. Sometimes I feel like I'm only scratching the surface, but there's something about the way that we're trying to get people into the kingdom, which is addressing almost the wrong self. I mean, if you leave people with the impression that there's something they did in their strength to get themselves saved, (laughs) you're Mm -hmm. birthing them wrong in one sense. And, And now they're actually separated in their minds from other people who really should, as the elder brother thought of his younger brother, really should put their back into it a bit more and do what I did if you really want to be a, a child of God. you know. So we, we put all these mm-hmm. barriers before the world rather than being humbled and saying, my goodness me, oh, if only for the grace of God, I would not be. Paul said, I am who I am by the grace of God. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I can speak to what you just said, Phil, my fear is one that methodology can anesthetize people to the message of Christ to where, Oh, I've heard that. I already knew about that. Hopefully that hardworking program as will come to the full realization that they cannot do it. But, you know, equally there, as I was listening to you, you mentioned the tragedy of Gideon thinking himself, the failure a thought that popped into my mind is the even more tragic uh, is the teacher who will use a passage like Gideon. I've heard it taught by some, hey, oh, valiant warrior, that it was ridicule and shame on the part of that angel. And of course, it was nothing, uh, anything yeah. like that. Uh, he was calling him to who he was in his yeah. faith in God. And that will be transformational. You know, there was another one in the New Testament. I think it's equally profound. When Luke and Mark both record their Gospels, they say, and Jesus saw a tax collector. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when Matthew wrote his, he said, and Jesus saw a man. Mm, yeah, and that's, that's huge to me. And, mm. and this is the point I just wanted to stress and see what your thoughts were. I think the church has done a very good job of communicating that Jesus came to reveal God to us. We quote Hebrews 1, he's the express image of the Father. But my thought process is that the church has not done a good job of realizing that Jesus came to reveal man to us, who we are, and how to live. Mm. Uh, And that I think we're missing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. He just didn't come to do something for us, but to do something in us. This new way of living, how he'd always seen us to be. I I love the way, (laughs) you see, we're such doers. Just tell me what to do and we'll do it. People say to Jesus all the time, yes, yes, okay, we hear what you're saying, but what do we have to do <laughs> to yes. do the work of God? And his reply, of course, was only believe. I love when believe. even Nicodemus said, so how can I become born again? I mean, if you ask most ministers that question, they'll give you a list. Yeah. And yet Jesus gives this almost enigmatic reply. Well, 
It's like the wind. Who can say where the wind comes from? <laughs> One thing he was not going to do was to leave Nicodemus with something to do because he knew him too well, you know. That's yeah. what we're like. Give us something to do and we'll do it, you know. I remember the Lord giving me this phrase, there's no such thing as a successful Christian. Yeah. And let me give an example. If I brought you to a, a creche full of six-month-old babies and asked you, Frank, to pick out the successful toddler, what would you do? Yeah. <laughs> you say that makes no sense. Uh, none of these people have a life by themselves. They're totally dependent. There's no such thing as a successful toddler. Well, there's no such thing as a successful Christian either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listening to you both, when I think about how how Father sent Jesus to not only model himself, but to model how he created mankind to be originally, my mind was drawn, Frank, when you made that statement, to Paul's words to the Corinthians, that we have the mind of Christ. And I know that many believers are familiar with that verse, but they never really wrap their minds and their arms around the fact that when we look at a situation in our lives or lives of the people around us, we can look at that and we can think about it exactly the way Jesus would think about it. We can be so in tune through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, that it's almost as if we could represent Jesus and have the decisions he would make right there inside our minds because we've been given that ability. But as you both have said, the focus is, what must I do? (laughs) What can I bring to the table to fix this instead of, wow, I have the mind of Christ. Father, give me some insight as to what's going on here and how shall we proceed? So Mm. I've enjoyed listening to you both. Bella, I'm going to throw you a bone here, my friend. Frank mentioned a book you'd written, The Father I Never Knew. Terry and I have a copy of it. So tell us about the book. Tell us about what prompted you to write it and how it's been received. And then I'm going to give you a chance to make a shameless plug and sell it. Where can our listeners (laughs) buy it? Yeah. Okay. Well, the book is called The Father We Never Knew. So it's almost like Widenick to say, I don't think I'm the only person that didn't know. Yeah, I misquoted it. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's all right. And then the subtitle is a little bit more explanatory. It says the unbinding of the Lazarus church by the restoration of the gospel. And it really is a picture of Lazarus, who was a totally resurrected man, but he had no idea because he couldn't see who he was mm-hmm. and the life that he had until he was unbound. And I think that's the, the preaching of the message of Christ as our life is to, as you said, to reveal to believers actually who they are now and the life that they actually have. And the reason I wrote the book, to be honest, for me, I process things when I write. When I write things, the Holy Spirit really checks me about things that I write. And, and that's how I find for myself I grow most is when I try and articulate. I remember that little scripture we always quote when no one turns up to the prayer meeting. Well, we're two or three are gathered there. The Lord is in the midst. (laughs) I remember asking, Mm -hmm. why two or three? Aren't you in the midst when I'm by myself? But uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's when two or three are there, you have to speak. So for instance, we started speaking together 20 minutes ago, whatever. None of us knew where we were going, but God works in a beautiful way through conversation. It's quite extraordinary. And so as I began to write, really, and prepare messages on this, I felt for my children, I thought, I want to put a record down for them. I want to put a record down for myself. I just felt this real desire. I need to put this in writing so I can look at it again and again and and, and reread and reread a sentence. 
and say to myself, is that true? How could I express that better? So I sometimes, I love to write and I could spend 20 minutes on one sentence because I know it's not quite, I remember once writing a sentence where I said, I was going to preach to our congregation. I was going to say to them, imagine God saying this to you. And as soon as I wrote those words, I felt a, a great check in my spirit. And I said to the Lord, what's wrong with that? I, I reread it again. Imagine God saying this to you. And oh, what's wrong with that? And I felt God saying, Phelan, I didn't give you my spirit so you could tell people to imagine me speaking to them. I give you my mm. spirit so I could speak to them. You know, mm -hmm. and so we, we have this wonderful privilege in the moment, really, of speaking. And you mentioned, John, about intellectualism and trying to figure out what would Jesus do. I always think of a new mother, a girl who's going to have a child for the first time. And, and any girl in that position would be a little bit petrified that she'd never be a mother like her mother or her grandmother was. How am I ever going to do this? But the moment that baby is put in her arm, she is the best mother in the world because love always knows what to say and love always knows what to do. And so if we're not being filled with the love of God, his very nature, his very spirit, then it doesn't matter what we say. If it's not said in love, it's not going to be of the spirit of God, you know. Mm -hmm. So as you were speaking, Frank, about that tax collector, I thought of how Jesus saw people. He saw them according to what he knew they were his real intention for them, who they really were in his presence. So he saw people and communicated to them an innocence that they had been robbed of. The prostitute walking into the Pharisee's house because she felt for the first time what she'd never felt since she was a young girl. Around Jesus, she felt innocent. And when he mm -hmm. stopped under that tree where Zacchaeus was up the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down, I must stay at your house. When I looked up the meaning of the word Zacchaeus, his mother, when he was a, a newborn baby, his mother and father named him Zacchaeus. It means pure and righteous. Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. A child mm -hmm. without a history. And that's the gospel. By the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, we can speak to people as if they have no history. We can speak to people according to what Christ has done for them, you know. And by the grace of God, those who hear and believe find themselves believing, much to their own astonishment, find themselves with the capacity to believe because the spirit is carried in this powerful gospel. So it's just so beautiful, so powerful. I never want to get past it. You know, I'm still scratching mm. the surface as to how this works. I'm not saying that I never would give an altar call. I'm saying I would do so if I felt God asked me to, <laughs> mm. you know what I mean, by that. I'm loath to sort of put things into techniques and methodologies, but to really hear his voice and I can't do that if I'm not drunk on what he's saying to me. You know, how can I impart joy if I'm not receiving it? And so I wrote that book really to have a record for myself and for my children, you know. And, and yeah, you can. It's up on Amazon so you can find it. That's probably the easiest way to get hold of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Only eleven ninety five U.S. dollars. Phelan, you made a comment that sort of captured my attention. You said, I can treat people as if they have no history. That sort of grabbed me because anytime we meet someone, we want to know about them, who they are, what they do, what they've done. If they come in for counseling, it's, oh, what yeah. are your problems? What are your presenting issues? Where are you struggling? But you're right. The mind of Christ enables us to approach people uh, yeah. with a totally clean slate so that we can separate and clearly distinguish between who they are as God's kids 
and yeah. the foolish choices they've been making mm. and the, how they live their lives. Frank, that's kind of been the root of your counseling ministry for decades, hasn't it? Yeah, John. I'm sorry, but oh, this conversation always puts me to tears. To put meat to it, I love your words, Phelan. I love your heart. I love the way that you communicate that issue. I love the way John caught that phrase, we can treat people as those who don't have a history. To put meat to it, one of my favorite passages is Romans 4, where it talks about Abraham. And instantly, you know, you look at the life of Abraham, get away from your people, your country, go to where I'll show you. He did a great job by faith, started out well. Famine comes, runs to Egypt. That wasn't faith. Tells Sarah to lie because he's afraid of Pharaoh. That's not faith. God says, you're going to have a child. Well, how about my servant here, Eliezer? No, that wasn't faith. You're going to have a child. Well, Sarah says, here, take Hagar, make one that way. That wasn't faith. And yet we go to Romans 4, and God says, Abraham never doubted. And, you know, when I first saw that, I thought, God, have you read the book you wrote? <laughs> but that's the work of the cross. And it spoke so yeah. much to my own life, that history that brought such guilt and shame is gone. Yes, it's gone. It's, it's gone. gone. Yeah. And Father looks at Frank Friedman, Phelan Daughtry, John Russon, and says, oh, look at those boys. They never doubted. They never sinned. And it's yeah. it's yeah. too good to be true. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's true. But it's it true. It is. <laughs> yeah. My favorite example of that, Frank, is Ananias going to the Lord in prayer, telling him about this evil man, Saul of Tarsus, <laughs> on his way to Damascus. <laughs> He's busy in the place of prayer, listing all Saul's faults. And then the Holy Spirit interrupts him and says, well, can I tell you who he is? He's <laughs> a yeah. chosen vessel, you know. Yeah. And that is such a revelation. The first word out of Ananias' mouth when he meets Saul is brother. Brother, yeah. word, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And that is the power of the gospel, to see no man after the flesh, to see them as the Spirit sees them. And how can any of us do that apart from, <clears throat> apart from being drunk ourselves in this beautiful gospel? Amen. Um, Amen. Yeah. Well said, sir. You know, Frank and I just finished, I think it was 12, 14 weeks, Frank, talking about the importance of forgiving others and listening to you both talk. You know, when Paul says, know no man after the flesh, that means he's looking at them as if everything they've ever done is no longer an issue. Almost as if, you know, I forgive you for what you've done. Now let's sit down and try to inject truth into your understanding so you no longer have to live that way. But I tell yeah. you guys, I frankly struggle with Paul's example of knowing no man after the flesh because that so often is my first response. Wow. So I guess I'm submitting myself to joint counseling across the Atlantic Ocean. So help me out. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite story, I think, keeps going back to the prodigal son. There's so much in, in Luke 15. But when the father hears that confession from his son, I, I am no longer worthy to make me like a servant. I mean, so much of the church is saying, let me work off my debt. Let me pay you back. And I, I see the, the giving of, it's like the father says, oh my goodness, my son, this man, he doesn't even know he's my son anymore. He thinks he's a servant. Get my coat, get my ring, get my shoes. It's like the dressing 
and the addressing of the Father. And so the Spirit addresses us in such a way that we're transformed. And his voice to us really is not the voice of the accuser. His voice is like the voice of a husband to his wife who, who adorns her with, with beauty, you know. He brings us into our right mind as to who we were. The ironic thing about that story, of course, was that the son who was left behind was actually living like a servant. And it's so sad. Two different types of life living in the same house with the same father that neither of them really knew. And because they didn't know him, they didn't know who they were. And yeah. they had no yeah. source other than their own created source, which doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, For either yeah. of them. Yeah. 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 Just to finish there was just that, isn't it strange how that story is left as a cliffhanger? We aren't told if the elder brother goes in or not. And it's almost like to us as elder brothers to the church, are we going to enter into the joy of our father? Or are mm -hmm. we going to keep making it about us and our works? Hmm. I know we need to take a break and go a second. Can we pick that up from there? Of course uh, we can. With Phelan's last comment, because I'd like to share a thought from Galatians and get his insight on that. Okay. Too. Well, gentlemen, uh, congratulations. You are part of the absolute longest podcast episode we've ever had here, but it's been marvelous. So we will reconvene. But dear ones, thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. You've been joining an ongoing conversation between Pastor Phelan Doherty, Derry Ireland, and our own beloved Pastor Frank Friedman. So we trust that what you have heard has really ministered to you, touched your heart. If so, we invite you to go to our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Spend some time there. Look around. Lots of resources. Oh, and Phelan, if I may ask you to chime in very quickly, do you have a website for your church in Ireland that our listeners can seek you out there, maybe listen to some messages, as my wife Terry does? Yeah, well, I try and put up messages on every social media I can find, John. Yes. You know, you can go to, we have a YouTube channel, which started during the lockdown, and, and that's an excellent way to listen. River City Church, Ireland. If you look that up on YouTube, and I also have a, a website called The Father We Never Knew. If you put that into Google, that'll come up as well. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, sir. Well, while you're at Phelan's sites and while you're at our site, OurResoluteHope.com, contact us, pop us an email, sign up for our newsletter. We'd love to hear from you. You heard Phelan reference his social media. We have those too. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, our own YouTube channel. And I just put up a whole mess of messages on Psalms and First Timothy there, so please check those out. And as always, we close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that no matter what you're facing and how dismal things look, we have an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope, Frank and I, and Phelan now call it a resolute hope, steadfast, immovable, bedrock, never, ever shifting. And that hope is a person, Jesus Christ. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.